Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Widow and Wisdom with Donna Kendrick. So welcome to the Widow and Wisdom, a podcast created for those facing a life's transition, whether it be through widowhood, divorce, career change, or a new marriage, your tomorrow looks very different than your today. Hi, I'm Donna Kendrick, the founder of Septum Financial, a financial services firm serving the Philadelphia region with a focus on families in transition. As a widow with a new business venture and a newly blended family, I have literally walked in your shoes. I understand many of the challenges you are facing and the intention of this podcast is to help you navigate the new days ahead. Today, I am welcoming Mark Davis to our Widow and Wisdom podcast. And the topic today is your estate documents know the basics. Mark is an estate lawyer with the law office of Elder uh, Connor Elder Law in Lafayette Hill. And Mark has extensive knowledge of elder law and estate planning. Mark Davis has over 20 years experience in the field of aging and disability services as a legal and public policy advocate. I have known Mark for many years, yet he is one of the kindest souls out there. And I am so thrilled that he's going to be here with our podcast today. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Good to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Tell us a little bit about your journey into law. Um, well, I got into the practice of law in a bit of an untraditional way, non-traditional way. Uh, law was more of a second or even third career for me. I didn't go to law school until I was in my mid-30s. Um, before that, I did a lot of things. I taught school. I was a children and youth caseworker. Um, but what drew me into law and particularly into working in elder law was um, I got a job with uh, the Department of Aging's Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program, uh, which is a state program that provides advocacy for uh, nursing home residents, people in assisted living, things like that. Um, and uh, really enjoyed it. And building on that, I saw the next step is maybe going becoming an elder law attorney. So I went to law school at night, um, graduated. As a, you said, I did some policy development work for some nonprofits doing government relations. And then my life circumstances, talking about life change, when I was 50, uh, found myself needing to shift careers um, and figured it was time to try out private practice. Um, and I caught on with um, Mike Connor, who uh, has recently retired. I've taken over the firm as a solo now. But um, Congratulations. Been, thank you. Uh, but I've been doing this for about eight or nine years. Um, and I uh, just love it. Oh, that's so great. Well, congratulations on having the firm up in Lafayette Hill still, correct? Correct. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. So I so appreciate you coming here and sharing with the podcast because so many people don't even understand what the basics are that they need in their estate documents. For couples, I always call it the new six pack. I say it's a will, a healthcare directive, and a power of attorney for each partner. By calling it the new six pack, they seem to pay attention and carry on. But can you just do the basics for us? Yeah. What should someone need? And what I like about what you're saying is that that it simplifies things for people. I mean, I think what, uh, you know, I always, when I do presentations, there's a statistic like 50% of adults in the United States do not have a will or any estate planning documents. 
And I think it's because it feels daunting to people because I don't know if it's attorneys or things they see on TV, but it feels very mystifying. And um, it's important to try to break it down. It's what I really enjoy about you know what I do is to just try to simplify it for people um, and not make it this intimidating thing. Um, and for most of my clients, um, that six pack you're talking about is sufficient. Um, I don't work with too many high net worth people who have issues where they're going to face a federal estate tax, which right now is you know upwards of it has to be above twenty three million dollars. Yep. And there may be trusts and other types of strategies there, um, but they don't apply too much to the people I work with. And so having a will, a financial power of attorney and some kind of healthcare proxy document, you know, sometimes a, a, another trust, which I can talk about as well. But so a will is what everyone understands a will to be. It's, uh, it's the document that states a couple of things. One, what do you want to do with your assets? Or what do you want your executor to do with your assets after you pass away and who gets what? Um, and the important thing to know about a will is that it only governs assets that are in your name alone okay. or do not have a beneficiary designation. So okay. your will doesn't direct where your joint bank account's going. It's going to the other owner. A will doesn't uh, direct where your 401k or life insurance are going unless you forget to put a beneficiary designation there, which is a big mistake. Um, those are going based on how you designate them. So that's the first important thing for people to understand that it's not, you know, you have to align your other estate planning um, instruments with that. I love that you bring that up because I often sit with my clients and I make a diagram of what falls under the will and what falls outside of the will. And right. that's why it's very important. Every year we do that beneficiary designation check and review right. um, because you might forget it, right? Or you switch the 401k provider and they didn't update that beneficiary. Right, or you you might not have been married to your spouse uh, when you got the job and you didn't list that person and you never went back and changed it. Or you um, have your ex-spouse on it. Correct. So um, yeah, I, I liken it when I talk to people, I'm like, well, you're doing your will. It's like checking the, uh, smoke detector batteries, you know, at daylight savings time. It's also a good time to go back and check those beneficiary designations and make sure that everything lines up. It doesn't have to mirror your will, but you just want to make sure that there's no unintended consequences. And the biggest mistake sometimes people leave is those beneficiary designated assets, they don't put anything. And if you don't put anything, then it does fall into your estate and into your will, um, which can you know, get involved with probate, which isn't that big a deal, but it, it also means you can't get to those assets immediately. Um, and it just sort of complicates things. And there can be tax issues that I'm not a tax person, so I'm not getting get in the weeds on that. But it's just be important to have a name beneficiary okay. in those situations. Um, and the other important thing about your will is that it, you're choosing an executor. Um, and if that's the person you want to administer your, your estate. Um, it doesn't have to be your oldest child. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, often people choose their spouse and then one of their kids is a backup. But it's important to choose somebody because if not, um, then when it's time to probate the will, it's just sort of a, a race to the register will's office and it just complicates things. So, you know, choose a choose an executor, choose a backup. Um, and the other important thing, especially, you know, in our context is, I think a lot of people think that if they don't have a will, that their spouse is going to get everything. And that's not how it works in Pennsylvania. If you're in test state, which means you die without a will, and you have children, um, 
your spouse gets the first $30,000 and then the rest of it is sp split 50-50 between your spouse and your children. Um, most people, that's not what they want. Um, and if you have minor children and they're getting 50% of what's in your estate, uh, you know, they can't take that gift. You need a trust. It's just, you're leaving a mess for your, for your spouse. It complicates. It does complicate things. So, um, you know, I don't know what more there is to say about a will. I, I, the other thing I just have to keep telling clients is, you know, they'll ask me, can I do, can I, is it okay if I give the, it's your money, <laughs> give it to who you want in whatever portions you want, you know, don't try to control things from beyond the grave with all kinds of, you know, ins and outs. The other important thing to mention uh, for you know the audience here is that if, if you have minor children, it's important to have that in a, a very important to have a will. First of all, if anything goes to those kids, you want to have a trust in the will, okay, which is not the same as a revocable living trust that they try to sell you on television. That's what we call a springing trust. Or a testamentary trust, right. I mean, it's only going to come into effect if that minor takes the gift. Um, if the contingent beneficiary or the person that's in line before them or both spouses, God forbid, die together and everything's fallen to these kids, you don't want them getting it. First of all, if they're under 18, they can't take it. Sure. And even if they're legally of age, most people don't want their 18 to 20 or 22 year old to get a big bunch of money. Um, so it's important to create a trust in your will so that, you know, there's a way to manage those assets until that child is 28, 30, you make it a discretionary trust so that the trustee can advance money if it makes sense because you have a very mature kid who's got, who's goal oriented and, you know, will use that money responsible and they're gonna start a business or whatever and, and it's very flexible. Um, and the other important reason to have a will, especially when you have, well, only when you have minor children is you to appoint a guardian. Again, in the, off chance that something happens to both spouses together, um, you know, to appoint somebody to actually, not the financial piece, but to actually take care of your kids. So Mark, I know when my husband passed, I, within two weeks, was sitting there getting my estate documents updated. Um, what's your advice in reference to having someone be the executor as the same person to the guardian or two different people? Um, well, the executor's job is time limited. They're just going to manage the estate. Now, if there's a trustee that's going to manage um, finances for the kids until they're grown up, you know, that's that's more the fiduciary role. And then the guardian is kind of, you know, raising the kids. Um, I think that's a very personal decision. You know, I, I, for some people, it's fine to have the same person doing that, or it makes sense, or you have a sibling or a cousin or somebody you trust you know, uh, without fail to do everything and their values line up and all that. But there may be circumstances, and this is something you would discuss with your attorney, like that you want to split those duties, that it's not a good idea to have uh, the financial person also be the one who's raising the kids. So again, there's no hard and fast rule, but it is something you should consider. And it's not net, you don't have to have the same person. That's the okay. important thing. Thank you for clarifying it's, that. It's the, your choice. That's great. Thank yep. you so much. Um, and I love the fact that you talked about too, about having that trust within the will and knowing that at 18, you might not want to have your kids 
have that big nut, should there be one, mm-hmm. for the finances. I always make fun of my kids that I say, oh, in the will, I'm going to control you from the grave. You have no choice. Well, you do see but- people try to do all these, you know, really labyrinthine strategies because what if my kid when they're 40 marries somebody i don't like and i you know you can do that but yeah i mean it just gets and i caution people you know you're you're create you can be creating a monster there that's you know and other attorneys may have a different opinion the other thing i just want to say real quick and i mentioned it briefly is um, you know, people often want to do, call me up and want to do a revocable living trust, right? Yeah. And you hear a lot about that. Um, and um, the, the truth of that is the only thing that does, that's a will substitute. And, and what a revocable living trust does is avoid, if, if you put assets into it in life, um, then those assets do not have to go through probate and they can pass directly upon death. So people have, in Pennsylvania have, you know, the word probate becomes like a curse word, but um, because they may see something on TV, but that person may be in another state where probate is very onerous. In Pennsylvania, it's not. And often there's no need for a revocable living trust. You'll pay me more to do the trust than the probate fee. It doesn't avoid inheritance tax. I think there's some myth that it does. Um, and you know, it can create other tax issues you're putting your your personal residence in a revocable living trust. I mean, you should talk to somebody like you or a tax person, or you know, you just have to be very cautious. Um, and often, unless there's other kinds of trusts, if you have a child with a disability who's receiving public benefits or they need a special needs trust, that's a different animal. But often, um, you know, they're they're marketed hard, and I, but and you know, but always consider whether there's a real need for that. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, I yeah. think that's really important for many of our listeners here yeah. at VA to understand. Yeah, the good, news in Pen- the good news in Pennsylvania is that probate is fairly straightforward and simple. It's like, just, just keep going forward. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a complicated thing. Tell us a little bit about power of attorney. So sure. One for finances, one for health. How's that work? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I recommend uh, is two separate documents. So a financial power of attorney and all powers of attorney in Pennsylvania unless stated differently, are what's called durable, meaning they survive your disability. You make that document, you appointing that individual when you're cognitively well, and if you lose capacity or physical disability or whatever, whatever you said in that document, it still holds. That's kind of the point of it. Um, there's You can do a springing power of attorney, right, which is it doesn't come into effect unless a certain contingency is met, usually your incapacity. And if people want to feel like, okay, I'm keeping control until, you know, I'm, I'm not able anymore, that's fine. Um, or just make it immediately effective, meaning you're appointing an agent. Um, you know, the, the individual is the principal, they are appointing an agent under power of attorney to do any, you know, it's a blank slate, right? So you can do and what I normally do for most people is a pretty comprehensive document, banking, insurance, uh, uh, retirement assets, real estate, anything. Because if they're appointing a trusted person, which is the key, there's usually not a reason to limit it. Um, but you can limit the document or expand, make it as expansive or limited as you want. 
Um, but the important thing is that if you cannot or w do not wish to, you know, handle your own financial affairs, you have somebody who can step in. And the big safeguard is that um, it's against guardianship. So that if you lose capacity or the ability to manage, make financial decisions, and there's nobody to step into your shoes for you, often that results in guardianship, which is involving a court, a petition, it's expensive, you have to be declared an incapacitated person, it's a mess. And timely. And timely, right. And so you're not, if you need a decision made and you have to petition for guardianship, you're not getting guardianship the next day, well, maybe that decision has to be made that day or the next day. So it's just really something you want to avoid if you can. Uh, similarly, uh, a healthcare power of attorney, healthcare directive, whatever you want to call it, what, what I do for people is kind of a hybrid document that one part of it is an advanced directive or what some people call living will. Okay. Very narrow application. That document only takes legal effect under two circumstances, both of which have to be not an or, it's an and. Um, you are in an end stage condition, which is defined in Pennsylvania, paraphrasing as basically a condition that treatment is not gonna resolve the underlying issue. Okay. Persistent vegetative state, um, permanent unconscious, something like that, terminal illness, um, that any intervention can keep you alive, but isn't going to resolve the underlying issue. Okay. So that's step one. And then the other and is, and you cannot express your wishes. So there could be a circumstance. You could be terminally ill, but you haven't lost cognitive capacity um, where you can still ex express what you would want or not want. In that case, nobody looks at the document. You're still in charge. You're still driving the bus about what treatment you want or don't want. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, and, and that's a very personal part. And I always urge my clients if they can, before they come in, you know, whether if they're a married couple, have that conversation with each other. If you're, you know, a widow or a widower, um, have that conversation with your kids, whoever you're going to be appointing, because you have to make sure that they are in line with your wishes and they can do, you know, the typical situation is people don't, they don't want intervention if yeah. they're in that condition. Well, not everybody's kids can make that decision. Yeah, it becomes such an emotional state exactly. during the time they have to make the decision. Right. That's why you really have to select somebody right. who you know can right. keep a ground state of mind right. and to communicate those wishes before. Right. And in Pennsylvania, if you don't have a health care directive, there is a statutory scheme that allows family members to step in. Sure. But the caveat there is if they don't all agree, if you have four kids and two say pull the plug, two say no, mom didn't want that, who breaks the tie and then... The healthcare provider is just going to go. I'm doing everything because I'm right. not getting sued, right? Let alone what that does to the relationship. Exactly. The I was just going to say, and then right, and then but but if you take that onus off your children, this is here's what mom or dad said they wanted. It's right here on the paper, and here's who they said they wanted to make the decision, um, and and actually you know execute that decision. You know, they there still may be hard feelings, but at least you've done everything you could to not you know create a squabble among the kids, right? Um, and then the second part of the document, the healthcare directive is really just a general healthcare power of attorney that addresses not, you know, end of life or emergent circumstances, but more, it's got a HIPAA, you okay. know, right? So that if I'm going to the 
take my mom to a doctor's appointment, the doctor can feel comfortable that they can share whatever information with me. If uh, I got to get on the phone and appeal a Medicare denial of service, um, you know, mom or dad needs to go into rehab and someone has to go and talk to the people or sign the papers or they got to hire a home health aide. It's just that kind of day-to-day healthcare decision-making um, stuff that, that, um, that that person can do for you. And again, you know, who you choose is someone, don't always have to choose the oldest child. Don't, you know, um, you know, it's like go back to the will. I would say like, well, I don't want a kid to be mad at me because I didn't choose them to be the executor. I'm like, believe me, they'll be thanking you, right? But it's really your decision. You know, again, I have to sort of empower people to say, you, you don't have to choose somebody because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You choose who, who is, you know, going to support you and be your advocate and be your voice when you can't be the, a voice for yourself. And that's really, you know, maybe it's not going to be any of your kids. Well done. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so those are the basic building blocks. Like I said there's other kinds of trust, special needs trust, or there could be other circumstances where an irrevocable trust, you know, I could get into the weeds about all that, but we don't really have Maybe time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that really trusts are like a whole thing. But but this for most people will give them a foundation for planning that is going to make, you know, avoid chaos for themselves and their loved ones if disability, you know, or death inevitably obviously is, is going to yeah, we always talk to our clients about it's a gift to have your state documents done because it's giving clarity to the next generation and yep. the people you care about yep. um, so that they can follow that roadmap moving forward. It takes a lot of that decisions um, out of the hands yeah. of emotional people at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think I find that younger clients have a harder time with it than older clients. Um, uh, and and those, are, you know, I, I where I'm Connor Elder Law and I almost don't like the term Elder Law because... It, it makes people think they can wait to do a lot of this stuff. Anyone over 21, everyone over 18 should have a power of attorney. If your kids are going off to college, um, they're up there. They might be away from home. Something happens. They, they have no rights. Well, they're an adult. Yep. Well, if they've executed, I would tell anyone, if your kids are going away to school, have them execute a power of attorney before they go so someone can make health care and financial decisions or whatever. So, you know, and, and young people, I mean, the hardest thing, and I run into it, and you read about it, is um, when you got to pick a you know, young couple, little kids, it's, it's possible, but not likely that, that something could happen to both of them. Who's going to be the guardian? It's, it's a tough, you know, oh, well, you, yeah. so that stymies a lot of people, but, you know, um, it, it's a hard thing, but you're right. If you, if you, Get it done, then it's done. You review it every few years, but you know, at least you laid the groundwork. Right? Yeah, we always say every three to five years, pull out that document, go through it again because life changes, and even as yeah. a couple, you might feel differently yeah. moving forward. Absolutely. So that's a good question to kind of lead into. Mm -hmm. I have many of my clients are widows, um, and their kids are grown and out of the house, and their spouse passes, their husband's spouse, um, husband passes. What's the timeline on that widow getting her will redone? I have some widows who say, oh, no, it's all good. It's still a standing document, which it is. Mm -hmm. But what's your recommendation for that? Well, again, circumstances drive everything, right? So if you if a will's done properly, right, you have the contingent, in terms of beneficiaries, you already have those contingent beneficiaries set up. It's going to say what would happen if my spouse predeceases me. Um, 
So, but you know, you also have appointed, you may have appointed your spouse as executor. So now whoever was the successor executor or successor power of attorney is the primary, and now you don't have a successor. And so I can't state strongly enough how important it is to have a backup fiduciary in all those documents. So, and that can be done with a codicil, right? If the, if the substance of your document is unchanged because, you know, you, you took care of everything the first time around, um, or you have a lot, you know, you had jointly held assets. So then when the first you passed, you know, but now you own them solely, right? So um, you can make those kind of small changes with just a one-page codicil. You don't necessarily have to redo the whole document. Um, the other, and we mentioned it before though, but the other almost as important or more important are the things like beneficiary designations, right? Um, and making sure, again, if they're set up right with a contingent, but then if your kids, because your spouse passed and now your kids would be the primary beneficiary, well, who's going to be, you, you want to redo those to name contingent beneficiaries and things like that. Um, and it's just, again, just to review it. And most attorneys, I know I'm glad to look things over for people. If there's no need to change anything, I'm not going to tell you to blow it up. Um, and if there's things that need to be tweaked or just something that somebody who does this all the time, you know, there's a red flag or there's this, oh, well, now that you're single, you know, let's do this differently. So uh, not just the estate planning documents, but, but all the other kinds of things like, you know, jointly owned things and stuff like that, take a look at them. Well, Don, and that's why so many of us financial planners partner with estate attorneys like yourself mm-hmm. to help give that guidance to our clients moving forward. So we switch gears a little bit, very simple question. Where's the best place to store your will? <laughs> um, well, to, to one, not only where you store it, but making sure that your executors know where it is because in Pennsylvania, you can, you have to probate the original will. So first thing is wherever you store it, make sure you're telling your fiduciaries where it is. Um, you know, people have these um, fireproof folders, which is probably a good thing. I would say not to put it in a safe deposit box because that there could be a lot of hoops to getting into that and you want to get it quickly or the person, you know, if you're, if it's your spouse, well, they're probably on the box too, and it's no big deal. But if it's your kids and they're not on the box, then you're just trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, Some people, you know, back in the day, people left it with the attorney, but I'm not sure that's a great idea. We don't, I don't like to hold people's original wills. I don't, um, you know, it does, of course, then they got to come back to you for the estate business, but um, I don't want the responsibility, frankly. And what if the guy retires or the woman retires or something like that? So, yeah, you know, keep it in your house, but keep it in a safe spot and and make sure everyone knows where the documents are in case they need the originals. And I would say with your with your power of attorney, again, you got to make sure the agent has the document. With your healthcare document, I would make sure you're, if you have a clergy person, they're at least aware of what's in it. Your primary care doctor, any specialist, like, spread it around yeah, because well yeah because you that's you know you want people to know what your wishes are there's no harm in that being you know if privacy maybe but other than that the people that would be involved if a decision had to get made you want them to know so that there's no mystery or nobody can say something that wasn't the case you know that's good advice yeah. very very good advice and i always say too um 
I encourage my clients to have like a personal document locator, like actually have a list, a running list of where things are located and put that in the front of your state documents. So if you might say, okay, well, where's mom's birth certificate and marriage license? Oh, it's in the safe or right. it's in the top drawer of the right nightstand. Those types of directions to really help the family locate what's needed. That's a great idea. I mean, just to keep things together. And there's also, you know, people will make these separate lists um, that aren't officially part of the will about who they want to have individual items, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who want, you know, who's getting the dining room set? Who's getting that? I bought my manifesto. Yeah. Not that I have one. But yeah, but you can, <laughs> you know, I don't put that in somebody's will because they might want to change that 50 times over. So just put it on a piece of paper, but keep it with the will, right? This is all because you're, you know, th- this is the game plan for your executor. And they got to do what, you know, if you want them to follow your directions, you got to make sure they know where the directions are. Yeah, and that too, also having like a little net worth statement. Where are all of your accounts? Who has them? Where are your contact information? Having that stuff together. Yeah. It's so much easier for the executor. Yeah, it does. Because that these are the kind of questions I'm going to ask the executor, right? I need, can you get me all the bank statements? I need accounts. I need data death balances. You know, where where is all that stuff? So yeah, to the extent that you can draw a roadmap for somebody um with all the account numbers or where everything is or a summary of not just the physical assets or the assets that are going to be controlled by the will but you know oh yeah there's this small life insurance policy that i bought 50 years ago exactly that you know i want you to know about that and how to access or even what it. credit cards you have open what yep. accounts need to be closed. yeah because that person's going to have to look and try to get a handle on the debts and what might be owed and this kind of stuff. Right? That's why I say it's so important too for so many of my clients for me to be introduced to the generations above and below so that we can really help them yeah. guide that path. Because I'm sure for many of my clients, if their son or daughter had a trusted contact, they could come in and could help them find that information and help them direct that path. Right. So I really love that open communication between generations, estate planning attorneys, um, and financial planners at the same time. So right. well, well done. Um, what would you think would be some of the best practices for someone finding a, a good lawyer to help them with their estate documents? I mean, besides just going to you. <laughs> well, you know what? I may not be the right person for you because it's very personal, right? And and you have to click with somebody. And I would say, you know, um, the to me, the value, the value added that I give to somebody in this process, um, because we do more than estate planning, you know, is that I'm a resource beyond that, right? So that I, you know, I'm not, when the relationship doesn't end when your documents are done, you know, things come up around long-term care. That's something that's part of my practice. Um, You know, you, somebody needs estate administration. That's part of my practice. Somebody needs somebody like you, or somebody needs a geriatric care manager that has a skill that I don't have, but I can, I'll, I'll give you names of people, yeah, right? Them right. So day. you would want, you know, look for an attorney and most of us do, especially solos. You know, we, we are like a clearinghouse, right? I'll point you in the right direction. I'll point you to services that, you know, are free, you know, call the County, call this nonprofit that, you know, that kind of stuff. So that someone's going to be kind of a, an all-purpose resource and it is connected to people who do the things that you know aren't necessarily in my bailiwick um i think the other thing is um obviously you got to have a comfort level because you're talking about very personal stuff and that the person you know 
should my my goal is to simplify this for people and and make it you know I'm tr- I'm here to demystify because people come, um, especially with a state amendment or even with a state planning like, and and they're you know they're fraught, and you know I just try to say okay you know there's usually a solution for most of this and we go boom 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 and my job is to answer all your questions right I'm an educator I got it you know you should walk out of here without any questions or knowing that if you have one that pops in your head in the middle of the night, all you got to do is send me an email. Um, because nobody should be, well, I did this and I wasn't quite sure what I did. They shouldn't be overwhelmed. Yeah. And they shouldn't walk away from it and not, not, not being sure what, what the outcome of what they did was because somebody didn't explain it right. Or someone poo pooed their concerns or, um, you know, someone didn't want to take the time to unravel, um, you know, the myths, you know, because that's the other part is like they hear stuff and, and trying to, you know, I do this all the time. And so I, you know, I can go, well, no, 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 you know, that doesn't. Do. But if you don't, this feels very technical, right? I don't think it is, but, but that's because I do it all the time. And you hear all these terms and you hear all these different acronyms for trust and blah, blah, blah. I need a trust. I need, they told me this, my next door neighbor did this. And so, you know, you really are that whoever you're going to should be patient and willing to, you know, field your questions and and be an educator and just try to, you know, keep the process simple for you. Um, I think that is great advice. Um, so I have one final question for mm-hmm. you. So for our listeners out there who are finding that their life is going through some type of transition, whether it be divorce, widowhood, career change, a growing family, what is the one piece of wisdom you personally would like to share with our listeners? Here's the question again. I'm sorry. So for our listeners out there who find themselves going through life as some type of transition, whether it be divorce, widowhood, career change, growing family, what one piece of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? Um, there's a lot of assistance out there. Um, so, you know, connect yourself to resources um, and take advantage of, you know, all the help you can get um, and don't feel like there's anything you should know. Um, you know, people like you, people like me, uh, you know, realtors, uh, people who help people downsize, geriatric care managers, it's, you know, people are doing this because they want to help you. Um, and so, yeah, don't be shy and don't be, you know, feel awkward about asking for help because um, it's out there. You know, there's a lot of services. I think that's great advice. So Mark, thank you so much for all the sound advice. I often sound like an old grandmother going on and on and on about the importance of having your estate documents in order. Um, but from personal experience, I know the value and the peace of mind that we can have by working with an attorney like yourself to be organized and to be prepared. So thank you for joining me, Mark, for the Widow Wisdom podcast today. It's been a pleasure discussing the basics of estate documents with you. I love the clarity and simplicity that you provide on the topic that so many of us avoid and are overwhelmed by. We can definitely tell that you were a teacher too because of the way you do educate and define those terms and those acronyms that overwhelm so many of us. So thank you so much. 
I'm sure our listeners may have some follow-up questions for you. So what is the best way for them to connect with you? Um, you can email through our web, my website, which is uh, www.connorelderlaw.com or my email, which is mark with a K at Connor with an O at the end, C-O-N-N-O-R elderlaw.com. And if you, know, you just want to shoot a simple question, People are often afraid, you know, the meter's running. It's it's all good. Just, you know, glad to help out. Well, number one, I love the title of your business. That's my oldest son's name. And we spell it the same way, so well done. Um, but for the listeners out there, truly reach out to Mark. He is genuine and he's earnest when he says the meter's not running. I'm going to help point you in the right direction. So thank you to our listeners for um, being here for another episode of the Widow Wisdom Podcast, Your Wealth Edition. To learn more about putting your money to work for you and how to plan for the future, turn into our weekly podcast with experts like Mark Davis, who share their wisdom with you, our loyal, li- our loyal listeners. Um, if you don't have a financial plan in place yet, come visit SeftonFinancial.com and schedule free financial review with me, your host, Donna Kendrick. Thank you for being here, Mark. Thank you for having me. It was a great opportunity. Appreciate the chance to talk to your listeners. Oh, I just love spending time with you. Have a good night. Bye. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered uh, through Cambridge Investment Research Inc, a registered broker, dealer, and member of the FNRA slash SIPC. Advisory Services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Discovery Media and Septon Financial LLC are not affiliated. Cambridge does not provide tax or legal advice. Guests on the show are not a member of the firm nor affiliated with Cambridge and are providing complimentary information for your purposes only. Tune in next week for more from Widow and Wisdom.